0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father, from our risen and triumphant Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word of God which we receive that he might purify our hearts this morning is from the gospel of John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion! Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. The Constitution of our nation was written in a large part in an attempt to limit the abuse of power by those who have it. It does, to some, de- to some degree, de- um, protect us from extreme abuses of power, but of course, nothing that, that man can do can stop the abuse of power altogether. Even in our country, there is quite a bit of abuse of power. We see it in judges and senators, congressmen, presidents, governors, mayors, policemen, all over. Not all of them, of course. Some of them are good people doing their jobs, but uh, it does happen. However, the probably the most hurtful and harmful abuse of power is not that which comes from the government, But that which comes from husbands, wives, fathers, parents. These, although uh, having power to a lesser degree and uh, more limited in their abuse, nevertheless, it's far more personal and far more hurtful. Uh, These are the very people who ought to love us and protect us and take care of us, and yet we are all sinners and we don't live up to what we ought to be and what we ought to do. God warned Eve, of course, about this very truth uh, way back in Genesis chapter 3 when he was talking about the consequences of our sin. He warned Eve, your husband will rule over you. That passage is sometimes used incorrectly by men as an excuse. And it's true that God elsewhere does talk about the headship principle that husbands are to be the head of the household. But that's not what's happening in that verse. God is not speaking to husbands and telling us that we have the right to rule over our wives. Rather, the the language, the word, the Hebrew word that's used there makes it clear that God is warning women that because of sin, men will abuse that authority that God has given them in sinful ways. And so we often do, sometimes without even realizing it. Use our authority, our power, for our own selfishness, rather than to serve. Women, of course, are not uh, free from this sinful attitude themselves. Uh, Women do often also abuse and use their power to get their way instead of serving each other. We're, We're all sinners. But into the midst of this sinful world and this world that is ripe with the abuse of power, comes Christ. Here comes Christ riding into Jerusalem with all authority, with all power. He is proclaimed to be the King of Israel, the Son of David, and indeed He is. With all the power and authority of God, with all the power and authority of a king, and yet He uses that authority to die. Not to seek His own good, but to die for our sins. Jesus rides as the king, but all that power and authority is there for one purpose to serve his people and to die in our place. He rides in the midst of palm branches as the people wave them and throw them in front of Him. What is the meaning of these palm branches? Well, I've mentioned a couple times in Bible class and uh, a couple weeks ago in our Wednesday Lenten service, I mentioned the name Antiochus IV Epiphanius, and I've warned you, you're going to be hearing it a few times this spring. You go back uh, to the time of Antiochus IV Epiphanius, he was a Seleucid king, and during his reign, a priest by the name of Judas Maccabeus raised a revolt, a rebellion against him. And in this rebellion, Judas Maccabeus used the palm branch as a symbol of an independent Israel, of Judean independence, of the nation of Judea. And since this time then, the palm branch was indeed a symbol of an independent Israel nation. In fact, a few years after Jesus, when the Judeans again rebelled against this time the Roman Empire, they minted coins with the palm branch on it. That was the money they used. And actually, after the the Romans came and destroyed uh, the Israelites, dispersed the nation, destroyed the temple, tore it down, the Romans also minted coins with a palm branch on it, celebrating their victory over the people of Israel. There's no doubt that this is what the palm branch symbolized to many of the people who were there waving it and throwing it before Jesus. It would not not be unlike a large group of people getting together, a large group of Southerners getting together and waving the Confederate flag. It's a proclamation of the desire for that independent Judean nation and their hopes that Jesus would come as the King to lead them to this. This however of course is not Uh, what Jesus means with the palm branches. If we think of palm branches, what do we think of? Well, if it happens to be a Sunday in March, you probably know that it's Palm Sunday. And Gina did a good job of decorating our church today with palm branches to remind us of that fact. But outside of church, outside of spring, what they probably make us think of is the Caribbean islands. Nice sandy beach, nice ocean, right? Uh, Maybe a cold lemonade in your hand, palm branches over your head. Some of you have just come back from from such a vacation. Uh, One of us came back from a long stay on on an island. I don't know if they had palm branches on that island. But uh, that's usually what we think of with palm branches, this paradise, this uh, relaxing vacation. That may seem like a, a modern idea, But actually, it's a very ancient idea. If you go all the way back to the time of Moses, you remember how when God led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, they took rest, they took refuge in an oasis under the palm branches. And for thousands of years afterwards, they celebrated that rest they had in the wilderness with the Feast of Tabernacles when they would go and they would get green branches, especially palm branches, and they would build tents in the city with those green branches, remembering how God brought them through the wilderness and and gave them rest and preserved them in that time. After spending some relaxing days at that oasis, they moved on to Mount Sinai. And at the base of Mount Sinai, God had them to create the tabernacle. And guess what? He had them weave into the walls of the tabernacle. Palm, palm trees. Both the outer wall and the inner wall, both inside and out. Palm trees and animals, which were there to remind the people of the Garden of Eden. It was there to remind the people how we had been lost from that paradise, that Garden of Eden. We'd been kicked out of it through our sin. But here, coming to the temple, they were returning to it. They were returning to that walk with God that Adam and Eve had in the evenings. And that through that temple, which, which ultimately was Jesus Christ himself, God would deliver them and return them to a new, greater paradise that was to come. The palm branch was from ancient times then a symbol of paradise and Jesus came for that purpose to restore to us that paradise that we lost. Jesus rides surrounded by palm branches not because he has come to liberate the nation of Israel but because he has come to liberate the soul He has the power and authority to restore the kingdom, but he restores the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of men. He gives life to Lazarus and to us in order to bring us back to that Garden of Eden, that paradise. And a paradise that is far better than the time you may have recently had in the Caribbeans or in Florida. Because this paradise, there is no abuse of authority, is there? No selfishness. Authority will not be gone in heaven. The Bible makes that very clear. The angels have hierarchy. The angels have authority. And so will the saints of God. But those in authority will not misuse it. Now that's a wonderful picture to think of a place and a time in which no one will abuse their power and authority. But rather use it to serve. But what's even better, what's even more astounding, is to think of a place and a time when I will not be selfish but selfless. When I will not on purpose or accidentally misuse authority and power for my own selfish purposes. When I will have that clean heart that we talked about with the children which will finally be able, will be capable of serving my wife and my family and and my friends in the selflessness that, that we Wish we could do on this earth the love that Christ showed to us. We'll finally have that mind of Christ that Paul talks about. What a beautiful thing that is. And that's what Christ came to do in order to restore the image of God. Jesus not only rides amongst the palm branches, but of course he rides on a donkey he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem and this ride into Jerusalem was purposely the coronation ride he was coming into Jerusalem to be crowned king of course that crown was a crown of thorns and not of gold but nevertheless he is coming to accept that title which people give him king of Israel there's much about his ride into Jerusalem that emulates David and Solomon and many of the ancient kings of old. And the the people knew it, Jesus knew it, uh, the leaders of the Jews knew it. In the other gospel readings, we know how they tried to get Jesus to stop the people from proclaiming Hosanna and naming him king of Israel. They think, well, surely uh, Jesus can't mean for this to happen, for him to be proclaimed king. But Jesus tells them, no, I'm not going to stop him. This is what I came to do and to be. And even though he rides into Jerusalem to be crowned as king, he chooses a donkey. He doesn't ride on a war horse. He doesn't ride on an elephant. It's not like that procession from Aladdin where he's followed by a thousand golden peacocks and the monkeys and all that stuff. He doesn't ride in the glory and the pomp of a king, but the prophet reminds us the meaning of the donkey is that he comes in humility. Jerusalem was the enemy. We heard about that last week. Remember when Jesus wanted to go because Lazarus was uh, sick unto death, That is, the apostles are afraid to go near Jerusalem. The Jews are seeking to kill you, they say, and you want to go to them? Jerusalem was not a rebel base with Jesus coming into his own. Jerusalem was the stronghold of the enemy. And Jesus rides into it, not on a war horse to declare war on his enemy, but on a donkey to bring peace to his enemy. We too are the enemies of God, aren't we? In the Garden of Eden, we took the side of Satan and rebelled against God. And yet God, Christ, comes to us, not in order to crush us, because we rebelled against him, but in order to restore to us life and salvation, to bring peace to, to us. Again, he comes with all that power, all that authority. How would we use that authority, that power, if we had it? We would probably use it to crush and stop our enemies. And we remember in a Luther's explanation of the, of the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom comes when he stops all those who oppose his will. But how does he stop them? He doesn't stop them by using that power and that authority to crush them, but by using it to forgive our sins, to create a clean heart in us and bring us back to his side. Jesus indeed accepts the title that rings from the lips of the children and all the people who greet him on this day, King, Son of David, King of Israel. He accepts it, but he does not accept the image of King that they would have for him. He does not come to use his power to crush, but to save. He does not come to restore the kingdom of men, but of God. He does not come seeking the image we have of a king, but he comes to give us the image of God. In our lives, we have such little authority and such little power. And yet, even the little authority we have, we often attempt to use it our own selfishness but Christ comes with all power and all authority not to be served but to serve and give his life for us amen the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus